You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, unafraid witness, and uncommon community. If you have yet to do so, we would love to have you join us for worship in God's Word on Sunday mornings. For more information, visit us online at harvestniagara.ca. Thanks for listening. Father, there is truly none like you this morning. You stand above and beyond any person or anything in this universe. And God, we give you honor and praise and glory this morning from the bottom of our hearts. We love you, God. We're so thankful you revealed yourself to us and you've worked in our hearts. You've saved us, Lord. And you haven't just saved us, God. You sustain us every single day of our lives. And we look forward, God, to the day you're going to glorify us with you in heaven forever. Oh, God, you're the author and the perfecter and the finisher of our faith. How can we not have our hearts moved by the greatness of who you are? You're truly the only one in this universe that is awesome. Father, as we open up your word this morning, we pray that you'd speak to us. God, would you push away distractions, discouragements, disillusionments, and instead, oh God, would you draw our minds and our hearts and our beings into you through the power of your word. Father, our greatest fear is that we just come here and put a little check mark on a box. We don't want to do that this morning, God. We came here to encounter you, the living God. So Father, I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would make it so. Thank you, Father, for the honor and the privilege of being your people. Thank you for the honor and privilege of proclaiming and hearing your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Good morning. morning. Nice to see you all this morning. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 to 18 is where we're going to be. You can get with me there in your Bibles right now. If you don't have a Bible, please stick your hand up uh, really high. We have ushers that are eager to get God's Word into your hands that you might follow along and encounter God through His Word with us this morning. Uh, 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 4, verses 13 to 18 is the text that we will be studying And as you get there, let me ask you a question this morning. Let me ask you a question. How many of you truly long for a better day? Come on, just like four of us? There's not a human heart in this place that doesn't long for a better day. Amen? I'm not talking about a nice sunny day on the beach with like your toys and your family around you. I'm talking about a better day, like a much better day, a day when all hatred is eradicated. You long for that day? Wars are done and all the, 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 the butting of heads when poverty is ended. When there's equality and no more socioeconomic levels, when prejudice is gone, when racism is over and everyone's finally treated equally, when diseases are cured. Cancer's but a memory and Alzheimer's and Parkinson's and you, can, you know the list, that they're all gone forever. You long for that day? I long for that day. When evil is once and forever finished, when immorality is no longer, when there's no more murder and no more rape and no more robbery and lying and gossip and greed, no, a day when we don't have to lock the doors anymore because our worst fears are behind us. What about a day when life is valued and euthanasia and abortion aren't even in the 
conversation anymore. What about a day when even politics is done? Stop the lies and the broken promises and the manipulation. You long for that day? Every human heart longs for that day. You don't have to believe in God to long for that day. But here's the reality of what the scriptures teaches us this morning as we, as we think about, oh, that day, is it just a dream? Is it just a pipe dream? It's not a pipe dream. The scriptures tell us this morning that that day is a reality of what God has set up the world to, to be one day. The Bible tells us there's a day when all of this will happen when Jesus comes back and all believers will be with him forever. That's the greatest day that's yet to come for the universe, for the world. There's been a few good days in history, hasn't there been? Christmas, the day Jesus was born, is a pretty great day, don't you think? The day that God broke into the world and sent his very own son to live amongst the sin and the shame and the the darkness that we might see light and have uh, the hope of eternity. That was a great day. What about Easter? That was a pretty darn good day. So we celebrated every year the day that Jesus took the penalty for our sin and sacrificed himself on the cross to forgive us of our sins and, and, and put sin and death and all that stuff behind us. That was an amazing day. Do you realize there's another day like that that's coming? And it's not going to be the day that we vote in the right prime minister or, or the economy takes a great jump. It's the day that Jesus Christ comes back once and for all. If you're longing for that kind of day, this is a good day to be in church because this is what the text is about today. The text in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 is about the day when Jesus comes back. Now let me read it for you. Starting in verse 13, look at the little subtitle in your Bibles. It says, the coming of the Lord. It's not one of those, those subtitles where it's like, oh, the coming of the Lord. This should be interesting. No, the, the coming of the Lord. Already your heart should be thumping. This is something we want to hear, we need to hear. Look what it says, verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord. Get this, it's not my words today, it's a word from who? It's not Paul's words, it's a word from the Lord. That we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Verse 17, then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. The coming of the Lord is not a fearful thing for believers. It's something we look forward to. It's the glorious hope of all Christians. This is really what 1 Thessalonians is all about. We've heard some amazing messages uh, so far in this book uh, unpacking for us how to live now in light of eternity. But the real focus of this book is eternity. Make no doubt about it. Eternity, Jesus' return is in every chapter of this book. Listen uh, to what it says in chapter 1, verse 10. We are waiting for the sun from heaven. Chapter 2, verse 19. For what is our hope, our joy, or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? 
Chapter 3, verse 13, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. This whole, like, this is how we live now. It's all because we're waiting for eternity. We're waiting for Jesus to come back. Here's the reality of the Thessalonians. They were like little antsy kids at Christmas, longing for Christmas morning. The Thessalonian church was in that place, longing and waiting and anticipating and antsy waiting for Jesus Christ to come back. It's the hope that they had in a world that was so torn apart and so full of evil and so opposed to God. To be honest, no one thought it would take 2,000 years for Jesus Christ to come back. Old Testament is filled with prophecies and predictions of his first and his second coming. Yet the Thessalonian church had obviously heard of Jesus' second coming, and yet somehow they were a little bit fuzzy on what was going to happen when Jesus came back, and they were asking some pretty hard questions about life and death. And so Paul comes back to them and says, hey, I want to make sure you get this whole thing about what life is, what death is, and what our eternal hope is. And so that's where we're at in 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 13 to 18. And really to answer some, some of the questions that we long to have answered in life that every human being looks for. As we study this text, I just have two points this morning because it's pretty short and concise. But two powerful points that we're just going to unpack. First point comes out of verses 13 and 14. It's simply this. Uh, death is for real, but it's not the end. Death is for real, but it's not the end. For some people who think that Christians somehow bypass all the hardships of life, even death, it's, death is just something we're going to face. It's for real, but it's not the end for believers. Somehow the church in Thessalonians was knowing some truths about life and death and eternity, but they were ultimately living like non-Christians. They were without hope and without God in some ways, it says in Ephesians 2.12. So Paul comes and he says, hey, I don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters. I don't want you to miss this memo. There's some important things that you have to know. I don't want you to be uh, uninformed. It's, I don't want you to be ignorant. I don't want you to be clueless. Huh? I don't get it. I also don't want you to be negligent, uninformed about the reality of life and death and Jesus' return. Here's the reality what the, the church in Thessalonians is what they're worried about. They're worried about the fact that we know Jesus is coming back, but what about all of our loved ones that have passed on before us? They're already dead. Does that mean that they've missed out on eternal life? When Jesus comes back, they're dead. There's no hope for them. And so they were almost living life like, like the unbeliever who has no hope in life after death. And they're asking the question, so what happens to those who die before Christ comes back? It's a great question, isn't it? What happens to those who die? It's a question most people try to answer in life, and a lot of people try to dance around the question, right? Well, death, we just want to talk about death. We'll just talk about life, and we'll try and live it up, and well, hopefully by all my life's experiences will be so big, it'll kind of minimize the whole death experience, thinking that somehow they're going to bypass it or sidestep it or, or trick, trick themselves out of death. It's not going to happen. Remember as a kid, even laying in bed at night, thinking like, what happens when I die? Darkness, I didn't have a nightlight, I don't know why, but I didn't have a nightlight. Claustrophobic, I was just picturing like just, just going to be darkness and this is closing it around you, just fear. No matter how many times my parents told me it wasn't going to be like that, that was the fear I had in my heart. I think it's a fear a lot of people have, what happens after we die. I love the first two verses here. Because they tell us that we might die, but there is 
something different about the death of a believer than the death of an unbeliever. Look at this. Don't want to be uninformed about those who are asleep. Well, what does it mean? Are they sleeping? Are they having a Sunday afternoon nap? Are they having their, their Monday evening quiet time? No, that's not what asleep means. In the New Testament, it's often used asleep means dead. Asleep means that, that, that there's believers who had passed away. It says that in Mark 5.39 and John 11.11. 11. Reality is, is that death is for real. And believers just like everybody else, die. But it's not like for believers, death is forever because it's almost like they're just sleeping. And it's not like their souls are sleeping because we know from other passages in Scripture that Paul teaches us that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. 2 Corinthians 5.8, Philippians 1.23. I'm giving you a text here because I don't want you to take my word for it. I'm not making stuff up. 1 Thessalonians 5.10, you can write those down. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So what does it mean then if they're, if they're sleeping? It means that their bodies are resting, sleeping, dead, but their souls are with Jesus Christ. It's a comfort to us already that death isn't going to be forever. Look what it says here, that you may not grieve as others who have no hope. To know that our bodies are just sleeping and our souls are with Jesus for the loved ones that you've even loved that you've lost. That, that's a comfort to us, isn't it? Some of us have been recently through this territory. It's a hard reality that we have to face. It's one that we, none of us look forward to. But if we're a believer today, you can look at your loved one or think about your loved one. You know what? They're, they're, that's just the outer shell. They're not there. They're in glory with Jesus. But it doesn't mean death doesn't sting. See what it says here? That we grieve, although we grieve with those, we grieve unlike those who have no hope. I had a Christian tell me once, well, we're Christians, we don't grieve death. Are you like, are you kidding me? Of course we grieve death. It's one of the parts of my job that I hate. Funerals. It's right and it's normal to grieve. Even though we have hope, it's normal to grieve. It's shouldn't feel guilty about grieving. We love. We love. The people that God has given us around us. And so it's okay to grieve. Don't let any believer tell you it's not okay to grieve, but we grieve not as others do who have no hope. Haven't been to a funeral yet where there's just been a party. I know people try to make funerals parties, but haven't been to a funeral yet where there's just a party. Christian or non-Christian, because there's a sense of us that death is so unnatural, right? It's, it's hard to, to think someone's here for one minute and gone the next. Why is death so hard for us? Why is it so hard to comprehend? Even for when our grandparents die, we know they're getting old. Why is that? Because God didn't create us to die. You ever think about that? Where did, where did death come into the world? Through sin. Before there was sin, God created us to live in the garden and enjoy his presence for ever. Death came because of sin, and so death is so unnatural for us. And so, yeah, I've stood up at funerals, and I've sat in seats in funerals, and quite honestly, every funeral I've gone to, I've grieved. Been a part of funerals with a little baby in a shoebox, to young people in their teens, to young adults, up to 31, to middle-aged, which is, I guess, I'm in that category now, to older folks to the really old folks up in their 90s. The reality is we grieve. 
But the reality is we don't grieve like those who have no hope. How do people who have no hope grieve? We grieve knowing that, man, we're going to experience loss here on earth. But, but there's, there's something beyond this. Those who have no hope, man, you ever been to a funeral with people who aren't believers? They have no hope for beyond. You ever been to one of those funerals? Oh my goodness, there's a drastic difference between a Christian funeral and a non-Christian funeral. There's weeping and there's wailing and usually there's drinking after to try and numb the pain and, and there's like, let's do something to make this go away. There's just no hope and it's hard to even be there and watch. Theocritus wrote this, there is hope for those who are alive, but for those who have died, they are without hope. For those without Christ, there is no hope. Death is the end. It's final. It's done. It's bleakness. It's despair. But it's even far worse than people ever know, ever knew. Because most people choose to believe that there's not a hell. But the reality is there is a heaven and there is a hell. And it is more hopeless than hopeless when you know the full reality of it. It's hopeless upon hopeless. We often say, oh man, what was your last week? Like, oh, my last week, it was sort of like hell. It might have been bad. But guarantee you, it wasn't like hell. You aren't without hope. It's not just like you're gone. You're gone separated from God and everything good forever. Like, there is reason to grieve and to have no hope. And yet somehow everybody longs for a hope, don't they? Even those who have no hope long for a hope. It says in Ecclesiastes 3.11, eternity is set on every human heart. In other words, every one of us knows there should be something going on beyond. That's why even people who die who want nothing to do with God, they always talk about going to a better place, although I don't know quite where that is or what it is, but it's got to be better than this. That's why we have all these theories about being reborn and reincarnated and you're going to come back as some sort of demigod or you're going to exist in some unspiritual realm. That's not hope. Even if you get to your utopia, guess what? You're still there and you're still sinful. So guess what? It's really not a utopia at all. It's a false hope, but look at this. When Christians die, there is literally hope. Why? There is hope. Why? How can we have hope that there is truly a heaven and there is truly a hell? There is truly a place where there is eternal bliss, where you're going to be with Jesus forever, where, where all the things that you long to be done with are going to actually be done? Verse 14, this is why we have hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus Christ, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. What's our ultimate hope? Our hope isn't our ability to be a good person. Our hope isn't our ability to somehow attain heaven. Our hope is in the fact that we believe in Jesus, and Jesus is the one who died and rose again. This is like the early creed of the Christian church. What do we stand upon the fact? Jesus died and what? Rose again. And because Jesus died and rose again, there's actually good, solid, concrete proof to believe these things. We have hope. Romans 8.29 says that Jesus is the firstborn of the living. Colossians 1.18, he's the firstborn of the dead. Here's the reality. Jesus is both first in time and first in preeminence. 
And as the first to be raised from the dead, Christ is the founder and initiator of the new era God is bringing about through Jesus' victory over sin and death. Jesus' resurrection from the dead opens up the door that all of us might also have resurrection from the dead. It's only because of Jesus Christ we have hope. Awesome. It's a central doctrine of the Christian faith. This is what we hinge all that we believe on. The fact that when we die, our bodies are just resting, but there is going to be something greater beyond. And one day our bodies are going to be reunited with our souls in a new glorious reality. Brothers and sisters, this is why we can have hope like no other. This is why we live in a reality that no one, no one else on the planet lives by. We have not just hope. It's not just a, like, I hope it happens. This is a confident assurance we have because of Jesus Christ. It's a game changer for us. So many people can't get past the loss of a loved one even Christian loved ones, even ones that we know are with Jesus now forever, we seem to know these truths, but then we live just like unbelievers, like there's no hope. Brothers and sisters, we can have hope. We can have hope today. We've all lost somebody that we've loved dearly, that we mourn and we grieve. And you know what? We can get past that mourning and grief because we know that Jesus Christ, because he rose from the dead. He promised that all those who are in him will also rise from the dead. What a comforting passage. What an encouragement to us today. Heaven, real. Jesus is there. It's not just a good place. It's a perfect place. It's where all those who die in Christ go. Better than Jamaica and Bermuda and Bahamas. Tears gone, sniffles over, diseases finished, long gone. Scrapes and bruises and sore backs. See you later. Now you're hoping for heaven? Don't be uninformed. Don't be uninformed. Don't live like those who have no hope. You can miss your latest news on Facebook. Who cares? You can miss the Twitter feed. You can even miss Harvest Happenings, which is pretty important to us. But don't miss this one. Don't miss this one. This is a game changer for all of us. The reality is, is there's hope beyond the grave. The reality is that Jesus Christ is going to come back one day. And a new day is waiting for all of us. This matters for all of eternity. The question is not, is there life after death? The question is not, is Jesus coming back? The answer is the key. The answer is yes, there is. The answer is yes, he will come back. And yes, we will be with him if our hope is in Jesus. The question then becomes, when is Jesus going to come back? Who's he going to come back for? How is it all going to go down? If you're asking those questions, I'm really glad you did because they're right here in the text. Death is for real. But it's not the end. Here's a second point, quite simply. Jesus' return is for certain. A new day is waiting. No amens on that one, eh? Wow. I got fired up studying this passage. I guess you're not with me yet. 
Jesus' return is for certain. And guess it? Guess this. A new day is waiting for us. A little bit better. Hopefully by the end you can be like as excited about this as I am because I've studied it all week. I get it. So stay with me. Stay with me. This, this passage goes on to point out the great climactic end of the age. That, 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 that there's a day when Jesus himself, look what it says, we declare this to you by a word from the Lord. This is God's word to you today that we who are alive, who are left until the coming Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep because get this, for the Lord himself The Lord himself, not a prototype of him, not a figment of our imagination, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God. Is that not fire your heart up a little bit? You're with me now. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them. Are you picturing this? I try and picture this whole thing. We're going to be caught up together with them in the clouds in the air so that we will always, see that word? Always be with the Lord. Never apart from him again. That's ultimately what our hearts long for. You know that, right? That is ultimately what our hearts long for, even more than a good vacation and that cruise and that cabin, whatever it is. Our hearts are longing to be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. This is why we have a living expectation, a great hope. Our great hope is not that one day we're going to graduate from high school. Some of us did, and it's okay, I guess. You've got to wear a goofy gown and strangle yourself with all those things around your neck and a goofy hat. It was fun at the time. Not that we're going to graduate university. That's a good goal. Not that we're going to get married one day and have the perfect kids. Good luck with that one. And have our dream house that um, might never happen in this lifetime. And, and have all the career like accolades you could get. And, and somehow have this amazing Canadian dream that you've always pictured for yourself. I have to rearrange that picture a little bit. That's not our greatest hope. Those things aren't our greatest hope. Retiring one day in the perfect place with the perfect people. Oh, that'd be the best. That's not our greatest hope. As believers. You know what our greatest hope is, right? Right here. Jesus is coming back. He's going to scoop us all up. We're going to be with him forever and never be apart from him again. This is our greatest hope as believers. And this is really what this whole passage points to. It's the coming of Jesus Christ. The day that the world truly changes. It's not going to truly change if we get the right people in power. And you know that, right? If only we could. Make these reforms. Might change a little bit, but it truly changes when Jesus comes back. That's when everything becomes totally brand new. This passage shows us how he's going to come back. It's pretty significant. You will never get lulled to sleep by Jesus coming back. For this we declare to you from the word of the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven, get this, descend from heaven with a cry of command. Jesus' return is going to be pretty dramatic. 
It's going to be the most dramatic event that is to come. You think 9-11 is a big thing? Jesus' return is going to be pretty dramatic. Look at what it says here. He's going to come with the shout of a king, the battle cry of a king, uh, God himself with the authority and power and, and might of a king and a conqueror. What's he going to shout? We don't know what he's going to shout. I kind of picture it being something like the Crusaders, and I'm not good with Latin, so I'll say it in English. And the Crusaders used to yell this out at every time they'd fight a battle. God wills it! You kind of picture it being something like that. Jesus is going to shout, then what's going to happen? From heaven, with the cry of a command, with the voice of an archangel, the archangel is also going to be shouting. It's going to be a big deal. You're going to be whooping up the troops. I picture Braveheart in this one, you know? I don't know if Michael has the long hair and all that stuff and the buff body, but I kind of picture the Braveheart thing where he's going to like, yeah! you know, the, the battle cry, let's go. Then a trumpet, blast, not like the junior high trumpet of like, <laughs> like a trumpet. Will I recognize it? You're going to recognize it. Well, I know if it's really the trumpet. What if it's just a big bat? It's going to be a trumpet. That sounds, I think, a little bit like a trumpet. You know those tornado warning things that go off and everybody hears it? The, you're even in your basement and you hear it? You know those, those places that have those? We were in Israel and the whole war thing went off on the Remembrance Day in, in Israel. And of course, I'm just like running for cover and then it gets Remembrance Day. Settle down. <laughs> Who knew? Can't read Hebrew. What I'm saying is going to be unmistakable. There's going to be a trumpet sound. And get this, it's even going to wake up the dead people. Hope I don't miss it. The dead people aren't going to miss it. You who are alive surely won't miss it. It's going to be waking up those who are sleeping. It's going to summon all the world to appear before Christ. This horn, let's be honest, this horn sounds exciting to us for the unbeliever. This is like the death horn. The Aztecs use this death whistle for special ceremonies for the Day of the Dead celebrations or in war when fighting other tribes. And they blow this, a hundred of them blow this death, this death whistle as they, on their horses marching towards the war. And it sounds like a shriek, like a shrill, like, you know, those horror movies that, of course, you've never seen and I haven't either. <laughs> those shriek and shrill, that's what the Aztec's death whistle sounds like. That's what this trumpet is going to sound like to those who don't know Jesus, but maybe know about him terrifying but for believers this is like the trumpet of all trumpets this is like the celebration the beginning of a parade in the old testament they used to blow a trumpet at the beginning of every month just sort of like this like it's a new month there's there's good things to come we're stepping forward in faith feasts and festivals they blow trumpets this is sort of the, the victory trumpet it's not like the seven trumpets of the old testament where it was all wrath and in the tribulation the wrath and judgment we sort of associate trumpets with that no this is a trumpet of god's mercy and god's grace and god's favor on his beloved children It's excitement. It's like the trumpet that starts the eternal party. And you're not going to miss it. When I was in college, I was a heavy sleeper. Loved to sleep. I'd mostly stay up a lot of the night and sleep most of the day. Why I did that? Because I was dumb and young. I remember one day waking up from my afternoon nap and walking out of the dorm to like the fire trucks were pulling their hose, their firemen were pulling their hoses out of the dorm. They're like, what are you doing in the dorm, you moron? You're supposed to get out there and rail me out. I'm like, I was sleeping. I didn't even hear the fire alarm. <laughs> Pillow lines to prove it. Drool still on my face. But you're not going to miss it. 
It's going to be awesome. It's going to be dramatic. It's going to be the, the, the end of the age kind of trumpet celebration. It's going to be dramatic. It's also going to be deliberate. See this? He's going to come. Who's he going to come for? Every believer. Every believer. It's not a superficial hope. It's a sure hope. And when he comes, the dead in Christ are going to rise first. And you're thinking, aren't the dead in Christ already with Jesus? You just said to be absent from the body, be present with the Lord. Yeah, yeah, their bodies are sleeping. Their souls are there. So what's going to happen is their bodies are actually going to be come alive and it's going to meet their soul somewhere in midair. I don't know how it's all going to go. I haven't been there yet. Soul reunited with body in that instant, in the twinkling of an eye, that that old body that's been in the ground for maybe years is going to wake up and it's going to be transformed in an instant to a heavenly body so those of you think it's going to be like a zombie apocalypse and all these dead bodies that's not the way it's going to be so you gun fanatics put them away instant transformation collected with get the picture with Jesus and then it says here and then it says those who are alive will be caught up together with them in the clouds and You've seen all those movies left behind and those things and maybe something like that. I don't know how it's all going to go, whether the clothes are going to be laying in piles or not. I don't know, but it sounds pretty accurate. If it's going to be in the twinkling of an eye, it's going to come and there's going to be this great big reunion up in heaven. Homecoming, for real. Your 20-year class reunion, nothing compared to this one. Your family reunions at Christmas, they're all right. This is going to be the family reunion of all the ages. Even if the awkward uncle's there, he's going to be perfected. (laughs) The Latin word for caught up is rapturo. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Rapture. Acts 1-9, like Jesus was caught up in the clouds. It's going to be dramatic. It's going to be deliberate. It's also this. It's going to be decisive. It's going to be, Jesus is going to come back once and for all. The rapture is the second coming of Jesus. Get this. There's no third coming in the Bible. It's decisive, meaning when Jesus comes back, it's for good. It's the signs of this age is over and a new day, a new age is coming. Praise the Lord. It's a new day in a new world where believers will reign with Christ forever. This is a picture, honestly, I think we sometimes get this backwards. We think that we're all going to get caught up in the skies. We're going to go in this hidden place in the sky. This is actually a picture of, of citizens going out to meet this, this, the king of a city. And so they're, they're running out to meet him. And then what is the king of the city? He brings him back into the city. And so there's going to be, a I guess, some amount of time we're going to be apart from here. But ultimately, Jesus is going to, he's coming. We're going to meet him to go out and greet him. And be like, hey, Jesus is here. Jesus is here. Then eventually we're all going to come back here. And the new heaven and the new earth is going to be here. We're not going to definitely stay in the sky and play harps, as D.A. Carson says. And the new heaven and the new earth, and that ought to fire us up. This is reality, brothers and sisters. I know it's been a long time since Jesus said this, and you're like, is this really going to happen? Well, when is this going to happen? When is Jesus going to come and get us and set up a new kingdom here on earth where everything is exactly the way he originally intended it in the Garden of Eden? When, when, when? You know what the Bible says? The Bible tells us very clearly when. You know when? Soon. Soon. Okay, this is like 2,000 years ago. Thessalonian church is waiting for this. When's it going to happen? Soon. But yet God's soon is not our soon. 
It says in Matthew that we don't know the time or the hour. That's a good thing we don't because we probably get procrastinators like we do with school tests and stuff, right? We procrastinate until the last day. So we don't know when it's soon. God's soon is different than our soon. Just like my wife's soon is different than my soon. <laughs> I didn't ask her if I could use this last night. I told her I was going to use it. So Andy's better than I am. He asked his wife. I told her. When we were dating, my life's gotten a lot better. Just to clarify, she's gotten a lot better over the years. When we were dating, you know, we could be on the phone. We didn't have texts or all that stuff because I'm old and ancient. We, like, when are you coming over? Soon. I'm thinking soon, like 15 minutes. Or she's, like, she's an hour away. That means like an hour and 15 minutes. And so you know what I spend my day doing because her soon is different than my soon. I'm thinking an hour, like five hours later, she'd be, I'll be at my window for like four hours. Like, is she coming? Like, soon's way over a long time ago. And she stroll in like five hours later, hey, honey. I'm like, honey, nothing. I just wasted a whole afternoon waiting for you. What happened to soon? She goes, oh, it was soon. I just got a few things to do on the way. But I did know this. When she said she was coming, guess what? She always came. Not once did she stand me up. I'm pretty happy about that. It's like Jesus, he's coming, he's coming soon, and, and, and his soon, his timetable is different than our timetable. You can be assured of this, he's coming back. Matthew 24, the disciples are asking Jesus, well, give us a sign. Like, give us something that we might know it's close. Jesus says this, he says, be careful, no one's going to trick you, because there's all kinds of people that come and trick us. Remember, we moved to St. Catharines, there's the billboards up, he's coming back on like October something or other, I don't know like, what the date was. And I looked at the sign, I'm like, circle that date on your calendar, honey. She's like, why? Because that's when it's not going to happen. We can rest easy on that day because we don't know the day or the hour. Be careful no one tricks you. There's all, people all have all kinds of things to say about this. I'll stick with what the Bible says. We don't know. But know this. There's going to be wars and rumors of wars. Nation will rise against nation. Check the news lately. Kingdom against kingdom. Famines and earthquakes in various places. This is the beginning of birth pains. Then there's going to be a tribulation, the Bible says, a time of death and hatred towards believers. You think it's bad now? Nope. Time when many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. False prophets are going to rise up and deceive people. Lawless and loveless time is what it's going to be. But it's going to be a time, it says in Matthew 24, to endure and proclaim the gospel to the world until the end will come. When's the end going to come? At the end. He wasn't been trying to figure this out for years. How's this all going to go down? How's it all going to go? Studying the scriptures, got to know, got to know, got to know. Here's what I have to tell you. All we have to know is it's going to go down. Can I give you a quick theology lesson? No? You guys are all like, mm. <laughs> big deep word. Here's some different theories of how this is going to go down. And, and I'll be honest with you, I don't officially know how it's going to go. Oh, you're a pastor. You're supposed to know. The Bible says we don't know, so I'll stick with that. But here's some different theories. I'll tell you where our church stands on this, but we're not going to make this a big dividing issue. You can have differing opinions than us on these things, as long as you're not going to make your differing opinion your soapbox and try and convince everybody else that you're right and everyone else is wrong. Understand? <laughs> Good. So here's some of the theories on this. Uh, Pre-millennial. So the coming of Christ kind of also kind of corresponds with the millennial age. In Revelation 20, it talks about the angels coming and binding Satan for a thousand years. And the, the world's going to be a time of peace with abiding with Christ and righteousness on the earth for a thousand years. And so all the coming of Christ revolves around the millennium. The thousand-year reign of Christ before the final judgment coming. And so many theologians believe that it's going to come um, before the final, before the thousand years, which makes a whole lot of sense to me, because how can you reign with Christ if he's MIA? He's not here. <laughs> Make sense to you? 
So this is where our church would stand premillennial because it says that the, Satan's going to be bound for a thousand years. Jesus is going to come and reign with his people for a thousand years of peace and, and righteousness. And so um, that's one of the theories. Another theory is all millennial. There is no, there is no millennium. It's just a, a symbol in the, new, in the, in the revelation. Um, now is the church age, and the people who are reigning with Christ for the symbolic thousand years are with him already. So Jesus is going to come back sometime, and, and uh, the earth is going to get um, a little bit better. The influence of Satan is going to be greatly reduced. The gospel is going to be preached to the whole world, and that's sort of how it goes down. And Jesus comes back. There is no uh, millennium, and tribulation is not really in that one. Post-millennial believe this. The progress of the gospel in the church age will gradually increase so that the world becomes predominantly Christian and society functions according to God's plan to a greater degree. And then the millennial age of peace and righteousness occur, and Jesus returns at the end of that. Again, you can ask our elders or myself later, but we would stick on the pre-millennial vantage points of this um, for biblical and obvious reasons. In the whole discussion about the end times comes a tribulation. Uh, Daniel chapter 12 talks about it. Matthew chapter 24 talks about it. And so in the premillennial view of things, which is what we would hold to, you can put the next slide up. Oh, you already did. Look at you. The cross is where Christ comes back, and then some would believe the rapture comes before the tribulation. Then there's a second coming of Christ, then the millennium, and then the last judgment. Others would believe, you know, the Christ comes, then the tribulation starts, seven years it says in the Bible, and then so halfway through, three and a half years in, the tribulation happens, then the second coming of Christ, then the millennium, the last judgment. Some people believe it comes after the tribulation, and, and quite honestly, I love to believe that it comes before the tribulation, because who hates pain and suffering? Like, if I could find that 100% clear in Scripture, I'd be jumping on that and camping on that all day long. Yet again, it's not 100% clear, so uh, I know the Bible talks about suffering a lot and persecution a lot, and somehow Christians think it's supposed to be super easy, gushy, comfy, cozy little Christian life. Uh, read the Bible again, New Testament. And so when Jesus comes back, it's going to be somewhere, I believe, before the millennium. I believe the, the millennium, Christ comes, sorry, tribulation, Christ comes back somewhere in the tribulation. I Probably think it's probably going to be mid or post, but I don't know. Then he's going to come back, then a thousand years, then the last judgment. This is going to be the way that everything goes down. Why does this matter? Why did God even put this in the book for us to worry about? What's the big deal about the coming of Christ and tribulation? And some of us get so caught up in all these theological discussions. We're caught up in it, we're caught up in it, we're caught up in it, and we're so caught up in it, we're missing the point. You know what the point is? Jesus is coming back, and we're supposed to be ready and urgently waiting for him like the kids waiting for Christmas morning. That's the urgency of this. The comfort is, is that when we die, when our loved ones die, we don't have to worry about where they're going to be. They're with Jesus, but one day Jesus is going to come back, and he's going to scoop them up. He's going to give all of us a brand new body. Praise the Lord. We're going to be changed in twinkling of an eye. We're going to spend our, the rest of our days with Jesus Christ forever. So what's this mean? This means three things for us in application. It says, encourage one another with these things. Let me encourage you with these things right now. What's this mean for your life today as you leave here? Number one is this, be ready. 
Be ready. I don't even mean it in like the fear of like, be ready, you little sinner, be ready. If you're saved today, be ready. If you're not saved today, if you don't know Jesus, then maybe there's a little bit of fear in your heart that should come in at this point. What if it happens tomorrow? I'm not ready. Well, then you should be afraid. There's a great little parable in Matthew chapter 25. It's called the parable of the virgins or the bridesmaids. And it's the, the parable of these, these 10 bridesmaids getting ready for the, the bridegroom. It didn't happen. Weddings didn't happen on that day like it happens today. The, the bridegroom, the, the male, would go pick up all the party. They'd have this great big procession and go get married at the bride's house. So they'd all be waiting for the bridegroom, waiting for the bridegroom, the groom, the groom, the groom. And, and half these little ladies brought, they all brought lamps. Half these little ladies brought oil with their lamps. The other half were, let's say, not so swift. Or procrastinators or worrying about their nails and their makeup and all those other things ladies worry about, and forgot one of the most important things, the oil. So the bridegroom's late. In our day and age, the bride's usually the late one, right? And the groom's out there going like, where is she? This is going to be five more minutes and it's done. Back then, the bridegroom's late, so he's, I guess he's getting himself all primped up. I don't know. And they're waiting, and they're waiting. It gets to midnight, and they're all kind of dozing by this time, and all of a sudden he shows up unannounced. He's like, all right, let's go, party time. Five are ready. They're like, lights on, let's go. The other five are like, can I borrow some oil? Can I borrow some, borrow some oil? We only have enough oil for ourselves. Sorry. They're like, we got to go buy some oil. We got to go buy some oil. So they run off to buy oil. The whole procession goes to the party. They go into the wedding feast. The door's shut. The party's going on. These other ladies who are so worried about their nails and makeup, they go find their oil, come back. They're like, oh, we got it now. Like, party time. But your bridegroom's open the door. And he's like, no, I don't even know you. Sorry. Oh my goodness. It's a pretty shocking parable, to be honest. Oil, like, if you're like me, you're like, well, tell me what the oil is. I want to know the oil. I want to have the oil. I want to have the oil. Here's what the oil is the oil is the Holy Spirit. Saved in Jesus Christ. With the fire of the Holy Spirit burning brightly in your heart, like, like stoke that fire, fuel that fire, burn that fire brightly because you want to be ready when Jesus comes back. Be ready. Oh my goodness, we can know this stuff, but I think a lot of Christians live like Jesus' second, they say Jesus is coming back again, but we live like it's not even true. Jesus coming back? Aye, aye, he's coming back for sure. When? I don't know, soon. Hey, want to see my new truck? Hey, want to see all my goals for my coming year, my, 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 my financial portfolio and, and all the things that I've built and done? You want to you see, you want to see, you want to see? Like, like, he's coming back, but like, I got other things to worry about. Kind of like the bridesmaids being worried about makeup and hair and stuff when there's something way more important going on. Be ready means that like, I'm anxious and I'm waiting for Jesus Christ to come back. Like, like the, greatest, the greatest thing that I, could ever, that I know I could ever experience and accomplish in life is seeing the glory of Jesus Christ. I'm ready. Here's what one commentator says about this whole being ready thing, which I loved. He says this, we will be ready and we will love the appearing of the Lord in direct proportion as we love the Lord himself today. We're going to be ready and eager to see Jesus as much as we love him today. So if you're one of those that's like, oh, he's coming, I guess he's coming back. He cares, better things to do. Like, like, check your own heart. Like, like, get some more oil on that fire. If you have the Holy Spirit, like, Holy Spirit, put oil on that fire because my heart needs to burn brightly right now because I want to be ready when Jesus comes back. 
If you're one of those today that's like, yes, yes, this is stirring my soul, then just, just keep doing what you're doing and keep loving the Lord and digging into his word and walking with him and, and abiding with him and living your life on purpose for him. Eagerly, let's look for Jesus together. I got accused a few years ago of talking about this too much in the sermon series I was doing. Stop talking about the coming of Jesus. Really? This is awesome. Be ready. Here's the second thing. Be intentional. Be intentional. 1 Corinthians 7.29. Time is short, it says. My own paraphrase. So live like Jesus could come back today. Romans 13.11 says this. Wake up. Wake up. Salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. Like, wakey, wakey. So, sort of like the wake up when my son sleeps in in the morning. It's not like a, hey, wake up, son. It's like 10 minutes, you got to be out the door with me. It's like, a, come on, man, wake up. What have you been doing? Wake up. Like, you got things to do. Let's go. Be intentional. Wake up. It matters what you and I live for. It matters how we live. But most importantly, it matters who we live for. Urgency for Jesus. The, that's why I believe Jesus didn't tell us when he's coming back because he wants us to have this urgency. If your teacher tells you you're going to be a test at any point during the semester, you're going to go home and you're going to read what you're supposed to read every night, right? And you're going to put the work in and, and urgency, live with urgency, intentionality. Realizing that your hours and your abilities and your resources are all to be put first and foremost into growing the kingdom of the Lord. What does living with urgency mean? It means living like this is not your home. Oh, I get it. Your name's on the deed and all that stuff, and you bought it, you worked hard for it, but this is not your home. This earth, we're just passing through. Here today, gone tomorrow. The, we're not setting up shop here. Like when you go on vacation, you have a nice little vacation house, you don't bring everything you own and set up shop. Why? Because you're not going to be there long. It's beautiful and it's fun, but you don't get too attached to even the people you meet. Like, yeah, good friends. You don't, you don't invest a ton, right? I'm not saying you don't invest in those around you, but you get the idea. There's something greater we're investing in. The kingdom of God. Something greater to live for than luxury and retirement and prestige. We live to love Jesus and live obedient for him, looking for people to bring with us. Get that? Looking for people to bring with us. That's part of the urgency. And longing for his return. Be intentional. Be ready. Be intentional. Here's the last one. Be comforted. Be comforted. Sometimes the scriptures just comfort us, don't they? John 14, 1 to 3, Jesus is going to prepare a place for us, and he wouldn't have told us that if it wasn't so. Revelation 22, verse 20, the second last verse in the Bible simply says this, Surely, surely, I am coming soon. God is not a crook. He's not a liar. He's not a timeshare those timeshare guys that are swindlers, he's not one of those. He's going to prepare a place for us, it's for sure. Your room already has your name on it. He's getting it ready. He's going to come again. And that's our ultimate hope as believers. If we don't hope in this, what are we hoping for? Our ultimate hope as believers is that one day this is all going to be our reality whether he comes back in my lifetime or not. I don't have a clue and quite honestly, I don't really care. One day, one day, all the things that we're studying, we're gonna know. We're gonna see 
Yes, our loved ones, again, this is part of this. Notice how we're all caught up with, with those who went before us. We're gonna, there's a reality that we look forward to seeing our loved ones again. Absolutely, amen? We can't wait to see them again. It's going to be sweet, this whole getting caught in the air. I think you'll be like, hey, haven't seen you in a long time. Nice to see you. But I don't think we're even going to be wrapped up in the hey, haven't seen you in a long time thing. I think it's going to be like, hey, high fives on the way up. But whoa, look at Jesus. He's good to see, but see who he is. He's there. I can finally see his face. I can finally touch his hands. I can finally feel his embrace. I can finally hear his voice. I can finally encounter the God that I've prayed to and read about and talked to and talked about my whole life. I can be with Jesus Christ forever. Be comforted by that, brothers and sisters, forever. Relationships in this life, they're so up and down, aren't they? Who's here today is gone tomorrow, and friendships you thought were going to be forever just aren't. We're going to be with Jesus forever. Forever. That's well, a pretty long time. Yeah, it's forever. And you're not going to get bored of him. You're not going to get annoyed with him. And he's not going to get bored and annoyed with you. We get to spend all of our existence, the rest of it, with Jesus Christ. Awesome. You're hoping for a better day? You're hoping for a better day? It's coming. The best day in all of history is yet to come. You think all those historic events were monumental that changed the course of the world, 9-11 and the Berlin Wall and world wars, this is the coming day that's going to change everything forever. Let me leave you with this, brothers and sisters, Titus 2.13. This is what we're waiting for, our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is what we live for. May it be so in all of our lives, I pray today. Even as you're hearing this message, if you know you're not ready, if you know that Jesus could come back like today, and you know you're not ready, you wouldn't be like, "Eh, I'm not ready, I might miss it. No, that's not it. Heaven, real, hell, real. Your life here on earth, everything's at stake right here. Everything's at stake right here. If you know you're not ready, please look at me. Please look at me. I'm not telling you this because I'm the pastor. I'm telling you this because God's word says it and because I want to love you enough to tell you the truth. Today is the day that you need to make a personal decision to surrender. Surrender your life. Turn from your sin and turn to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That you will be ready. Repent of your sin. Turn from it. Turn to Jesus that you'll be ready. If you're a Christian today and you're here, you're here, but your eyes are open, but you're asleep, you're spiritually sleeping and you know it. He can't tell Kenny, he can't tell Kenny, my eyes are open, my eyes are open. If you know you're spiritually sleeping and you're more wrapped up in the things of this world, you're more wrapped up in yourself than Jesus Christ and things to come, today's the warning, today's the, today's the, the, hey, wake up, wake up, wake up, wake up, wake up, he's coming back. You don't want to miss it. If you're here today and you're like, man, I'm fired up, I was fired up before you even started preaching, now I'm really fired up. And you leave here and you keep putting fuel in that fire and you keep looking with anticipation for Jesus Christ. Forget everything else. Look for Jesus Christ. Live for him and his glory and you will not be disappointed on that day. Let me pray. Father, you are the king of all kings and the Lord of all lords. 
Thank you, Heavenly Father, for giving us your word, which is so clear and so alive. It shows us exactly who you are, who we are, what life is, what death is, what, what is in the past, what is in the present, and what is to come. I simply pray this, oh God, this morning that you would captivate every single heart in this place to see the full reality of what I just preached for the glory of Jesus Christ. For those that aren't ready, Lord, make them ready today, I pray, by the power of your Holy Spirit. For those sleeping, wake them up. For those that are already alive and awake, oh God, give them a greater passion, a greater urgency, a greater love for you than they might live for your return. In Jesus' name, amen.